Hello, I'm Marcus Louth and welcome to the latest edition of the UFO Insight Podcast, where we examine all things UFOs and aliens, conspiracies and mysteries, and all aspects of the paranormal. Okay, today we will examine just some of the UFO reports to have come from astronauts, who, we might imagine, would have a better idea than most of just what is usual and what isn't in space. And what's more, there are many more of these accounts than we might at first think. Indeed, we should perhaps not dismiss the following as easily as we might dismiss others. It would perhaps be best to start with some of the apparent sightings and encounters of the Apollo moon landings, specifically the first landing of the Apollo 11 mission. Both Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin have rarely commented outright on the matter. However, a professor who would only speak under anonymity would speak with Armstrong at a NASA symposium years after the moon landing. According to the professor, Armstrong would reply privately when asked what really happened, that they were warned off the moon. Furthermore, any plans for a space station near the moon or a moon city were gone immediately. When asked to explain why further NASA missions went ahead following the initial landing, Armstrong would reason that such a sudden ending might have caused panic on Earth. However, the subsequent missions were simply quick scoop and back again operations. Furthermore, according to Alexander Kazantev, Buzz Aldrin had begun filming the strange objects from inside the landing module while Armstrong was taking his historic first step on the lunar surface. Further still, he would continue filming discreetly when he himself went outside. The film, however, was promptly removed by intelligence services. Might it be that the conspiracies surrounding the moon landings are legitimate, only the conspiracy is not whether we landed on the moon or not, but why we didn't return, and what exactly did we really find when we landed there? This is an interesting idea when we examine some of the details, as speculative as they might be, of the Apollo 11 crew returning to Earth. While we can accept their obvious exhaustion, each of the astronauts appears sullen, almost depressed when appearing at the news conference shortly after landing. Aldrin himself would suffer from repeated battles with alcoholism in the years that followed the famous missions. Was this battle a consequence of processing the life-changing information that he and a very select few other people on the planet were aware of? Returning to Armstrong's alleged reports of UFOs on the edge of the crater of the moon, perhaps one of the most mind-blowing confessions of secret and withheld information by those at the top of NASA and the intelligence agencies would come from Maurice Chaitlin, former chief of NASA communications systems. Although many people would dismiss his claims, as well as the actual access he might have had in NASA, Chaitlin would claim in the late 1970s Armstrong did indeed witness the UFOs on the moon's crater. Furthermore, in such books as Our Cosmic Ancestors, he would claim that many of the UFOs come from within our own solar system, in particular Titan. This is perhaps an interesting notion, as today many scientists believe life could indeed exist on the moons of the gas giants, including Europa and Titan. Did Chaitlin really have access to information he was ultimately willing to divulge? Was he free of the military security and secrets acts that NASA astronauts were constricted by due to his unofficial presence in NASA? As controversial as he and his claims are, they most certainly have a place in the conspiracy of the astronaut UFO encounters. Although he didn't outright claim to have witnessed a UFO, the last man to walk on the moon, Eugene Cernan, would clearly state in the 2007 documentary Shadow of the Moon that he was suddenly aware of a greater power after witnessing the mysteries of space and the universe first hand. 
He would further state after witnessing the vastness of space on the Earth's place in it, I felt that the world was just too beautiful to have happened by accident. There has to be something bigger than you and bigger than me, and I mean this in a spiritual sense, not a religious sense. He would elaborate that his belief in a creator was unexplainable to him. As early as 1973, he would claim in a Los Angeles Times newspaper article that I've been asked about UFOs and I've said publicly I thought they were somebody else, some other civilization. While he wouldn't claim his personal belief was that UFOs are under the intelligent control of extraterrestrials from elsewhere in the universe, James Lovell would respond to UFO researcher Timothy Good when asked for his opinion on the matter, that most of us astronauts believe there must be a star like our sun that has a planetary system which must support intelligent life. However, released transcripts of Lovell's Gemini 7 spaceflight in December 1965 might suggest otherwise. He would report to Gemini Command at Cape Kennedy that there was a bogey at 10 o'clock. When the command centre asked if this was an actual sighting or whether it was a discarded booster, Lovell replied, we have several, and it was an actual sighting. Then, for clarity, he would add, we also have the booster in sight. Astronaut Gordon Cooper played a key role in having the US government release all of their UFO files to the public. Cooper had witnessed several UFOs while working as a terrestrial pilot at various US military bases around the world. However, on May 15, 1963, during what was the last single-person space mission in Earth's orbit, Cooper himself would witness a UFO while he was in flight during his final pass of the planet. As he was making the pass, he would notify the tracking station near Perth in Australia that there was a greenish object heading towards his Mercury capsule. What's more, the tracking station would confirm the object on their radar. This meant that far from being a trick of the light, the object was almost definitely solid. Reporters would hear of the sighting through the National Broadcast Company, as was standard procedure. However, despite this, reporters were told that Cooper would not answer questions on the issue. Perhaps even more damning for NASA, and certainly lending credibility to other similar reports, are his words from the late 1990s interview with J.L. Fernando. Cooper would state, For many years I have lived with a secret, in a secrecy imposed on all specialists in astronautics. I can now reveal that every day in the United States, our radar instruments capture objects of form and composition unknown to us and there are thousands of witness reports and a quantity of documents to prove this, but nobody wants to make them public. Why? Why indeed? Cooper would further elaborate on an event in Florida that he himself witnessed, when United States authorities did just about everything they could to keep the incident out of the public domain. He would claim that flames in four indentions left by a flying object that had landed in the middle of a field were covered up, and furthermore, so were the witnesses, all of whom saw several strange beings leave the craft to gather up soil samples. Then, as if nothing out of the ordinary was taking place, these entities returned to their craft, which disappeared at enormous speed. The reaction and response to Cooper's claims was, by and large, that he was an American hero, who due to old age and possibly as a result of his testing planes at the absolute edge of their capabilities, was now a little confused about what he did and didn't see something Cooper would refute right until his death in 2004.
This is similar to how claims made by Sir Peter Horsley, one-time Deputy Commander-in-Chief of the RAF Strike Command, who claims to have had a private meeting with an extraterrestrial entity, arranged while he was working directly with Prince Philip, no less, whose own interest in such matters itself was rabid, were dealt with. They would essentially distance themselves, with the insinuation that a once-proud man had so publicly revealed himself to be mentally unwell. In reality, what else could respective authorities do with such blatant exposure, if we assume each is accurate for just a moment, but to show sympathy with an individual who was clearly unwell? In the collective mind of the public, this was obviously the case. Perhaps these are good examples of how effectively such manipulation tools of the masses work so easily. Cooper certainly isn't the only astronaut to have had such sightings of strange anomalous craft. In fact, he isn't even the only one of the Mercury pilots. Donald Deke Slayton, for example, would make claims several decades after the incident that he had witnessed a UFO while test flying a P-51 fighter jet over Hastings near Minneapolis in December 1951. In his 1995 book, Deke, US Man Space from Mercury to the Shuttle, he would speak about the incident in detail. The day was a typical bright winter day, with the afternoon sun shining crisply and precisely. Slayton was at an altitude of around 10,000 feet when he saw what he at first thought was a kite in the distance in front of him. Realising he was much too high for the object to be a kite, he would move in for a closer look. He would recall, as soon as I got behind the damn thing, it didn't look like a balloon anymore, it looked like a saucer, like a disc. He realised the object, as clear as it was, was moving away from him, and quickly. This, despite the fact he was travelling at just over 300 miles per hour. He watched it for several more minutes before it climbed upwards and just flat disappeared. We should note that Slayton, much like Cooper, was considered one of the finest pilots of his day, with a particularly above-average aptitude for flying. In fact, so highly recommended was Slayton, he was hand-picked as one of the first astronauts to enter into the United States space program. Like their American counterparts, Soviet cosmonauts have an equally long history of reports of strange and anomalous objects in the great vastness of space. Perhaps one of the most intriguing occurred during the downfall and breakup of the Soviet Union in September 1990. During a radio interview with cosmonauts Genaday Mankakov and Genaday Strekalov, Mankakov would make some startlingly blunt statements in response to the most interesting phenomena he had witnessed. He would claim that only the previous day he had witnessed an unidentified flying object. Mankakov would elaborate that this great silvery sphere was roughly near the North Pole and approximately 20 to 30 kilometres above the Earth. He would claim it was much larger than a huge ship. When the interviewer suggested that the object might have been an iceberg, Mankakov dismissed this notion, stating the object was enormous and it could have been an experimental sphere or something of that nature. He would further state, I was observing it for around 6 or 7 seconds, and then it disappeared. It was just hovering over the earth. What perhaps makes Mankakov's claims more credible is that just over 6 months later on March 31st, 1991, fellow cosmonaut Musmanarov not only witnessed a cigar-shaped UFO from the Mir space station, he managed to capture footage of it, and some UFO researchers would hail the footage as undoubtedly one of the best-known examples of UFO footage ever taken in space. One of the first cosmonauts to publicly tell of such sightings, as well as his belief in UFOs and alien life, was Soyuz 5 cosmonaut Yevgeny Krunov. He was stating in the 1980 edition of Sputnik magazine that as for UFOs, their presence cannot be denied. 
Thousands of people have seen them. Their ability to change course by 90 degrees at great speed simply staggers the imagination. Indeed, while Kunov himself suggested a possible optical illusion for these strange sightings was possible, these types of movement and their apparent solid structures made such a theory unlikely. Of course, Soviet authorities would officially deny the existence of UFOs. Perhaps Kurunov's caveat to his bold statement was to cover himself from the persecution of the state, something that, according to some researchers, most certainly went ahead with some of the most outspoken UFO researchers in the Cold War climate of the Soviet Union. However, as the regime fell and the iron grip of communist censorship relinquished its control over the media and what it could report, many hundreds and thousands of UFO reports burst into the public arena. Among them were several notable ones from Soviet cosmonauts. One of the most interesting would appear in the February 28th edition of a Moscow newspaper and took place overnight between 14th and 15th of June 1980 on the Salyut 6 spacecraft. According to their report, the chief engineer of the cosmonaut training centre, Vladimir Alexandrov, suddenly burst into the newspaper's main office with a picture of what he claimed was a UFO and an account involving two cosmonauts. Furthermore, he would claim, as many researchers have said for some time, Soviet authorities went out of their way to ensure that the incident remained concealed from their own populace, as well as the world at large. The two cosmonauts were in orbit around the planet on the Salyut 6 when a cluster of white shining spots began climbing up into the far reaches of space above. What's more, these bizarre objects appeared to be coming from a region near Moscow. By the time they had watched these mystery objects, they were much higher than the Salyut 6 and seemingly disappeared continually upwards into an eternal black nothingness. Furthermore, witnesses on the ground were told that the sightings were simply a satellite launch, although Alexandrov would claim quite simply this was a cover-up. He would claim that a saucer-shaped object is clearly visible in the photograph. It would appear that the picture itself is hard to pin down for many researchers, perhaps adding an extra layer of intrigue to the already bizarre account. It's also worth our time examining the alleged sightings of the Soviet Salyut 7 mission. Launched in April 1982, the Salyut 7 space station locked into Earth's orbit soon after. The attention was on conducting various scientific experiments in space. The initial crew consisted of three Soviet cosmonauts. Three months into its third year above the planet, the mission had begun to experience a multitude of system failures. This understandably unnerved the crew somewhat, although they didn't appear to be in any danger and proceeded with the mission. The first strange sighting occurred on July 12, 1984. Out of nowhere, a strange but bright orange cloud seemed to envelop the entire space station. At first they believed there must have been an explosion and consequently the orange glow was in fact a fire. Investigation proved this not to be the case. The three cosmonauts rushed to the porthole, almost blind from the brightness that flooded into the space station. When their eyes finally adjusted, each of them could clearly see huge angels outside the ship. The cosmonauts stated the angels had a wingspan akin to the size of 747 jets and were 80 feet tall. One later report stated that the entities appeared to acknowledge their presence inside the space station, even smiling at them. In all, there were seven of these celestial entities. The men stood mesmerised by what they were seeing for ten minutes. Then, the angels disappeared as quickly and as quietly as they had arrived. Following the docking of the Soyuz T-12 with the Salyut 7 on July 17th, five days after the strange sighting, three more cosmonauts boarded the space station. A short time after, the mysterious angels returned, and this time all six of the cosmonauts witnessed them together. 
The events were largely the same as the first time they appeared. They again reported the sightings to Mission Control superiors on the ground. Again, the report spoke of these strange glowing angel-like creatures seemingly being aware of the crew, even smiling at them. As before, after several minutes of encircling the space station, they peacefully disappeared into the vastness of space. Although there is no hard conclusive science to back it up any more than your standard UFO or alien theory, the Salyut 7 incident was chalked up by most to a mass hallucination. A single cosmonaut hallucinating is one thing. To have six people on two separate occasions each share that same hallucination is unlikely at best. Each of the cosmonauts was subject to intense and prolonged examination upon their return to Earth. These are both physical and mental in nature. All pass these examinations and procedures convincingly. In short, there is nothing to indicate or prove that what they saw was a hallucination. Nor was there any suggestion or reason to suggest that the incident was a collective lie by the Soviets. Ultimately, however, the accounts of the cosmonauts and the incident itself has largely come together from released reports and research. Although the incident did make the international news, there was no real seriousness in the reports and the incident was soon forgotten. In more recent years, with the rise of the internet, the story has spread much further. It is, however, sometimes difficult to extract the exact events from the hearsay in such cases. There are claims of NASA whistleblowers who say that these angels regularly appear in photographs of the Hubble telescope. Others go further, claiming that the Vatican is not only aware of these beings, but are involved in covering them up. If we return to the Salyut 6 missions, we can find what would appear to have been several other intriguing cases. For example, on June 17, 1978, a conversation between cosmonauts Vladimir Kovlenok and Alexander Avinchenko was caught in audio tape. A transcription of this conversation was also within the Thread 3 files. It concerned a strange object flying under the space station, which had the appearance of a tennis ball and was as bright as a flaring-up star. Perhaps similar to the sphere hovering over the Earth that was reported over a decade later. Incidentally, Kovlenot would experience another UFO encounter almost three years later in early May 1981. Once more, a sphere-shaped object appeared out of nowhere and remained alongside the space station as it went into its orbit around the Earth. In front of the object was a gyrating depressed cone which was expanding and contracting and becoming transparent, apparently revealing a body inside. He would explain, I have to recognise that it did not have an artificial origin. It was not artificial because an artificial object couldn't attain this form. I don't know of anything that can make this movement. Then came two quick explosions within half a second of each other. In a move extremely similar to the aforementioned Salyut 7 incident of 1984, although the cosmonauts involved in that encounter did not report a UFO, the occupants of this strange craft left the otherworldly vehicle and approached the portals of the Soviet space station. Out of this explosion came two clouds of smoke which then resembled an entity which came near me and I watched it, he said. In short then, there are many, many accounts of strange intelligently guided crafts in and around the reaches of our planet. Might it be that the solar system, our solar system, really is flowing with life and activity? If that is the case, then why have our governments kept this information from us? Is it realistic that they would, or even could? What should we think of the controversial claims of people such as Maurice Chaitlin? People easily dismissed as fantasists, but whose information in some case has proven to be eerily accurate. And what should we make of the fact that our own moon is home to an extraterrestrial race, one so powerful and with huge spaceships that were so technologically advanced of anything humanity has access to?
If that was the case, and our moon was hosting these alien entities, what does that mean for claims of alien abduction? Might such stumbling blocks of travelling across the vastness of space suddenly be null and void, in terms of these great aliens who are abducting human beings from their beds, or from vehicles on lonely roads around the planet? Might these strange entities not be travelling across the regions of space, but instead be travelling the relatively short distance to Earth from hidden bases on the moon? If so, how long have they inhabited our satellites, and how far back does their history and influence in humanity actually go? Might such a far-reaching presence in human antiquity explain why they are so prevalent today in our contemporary era? For now though, I will simply thank you for joining me, and be sure to leave any thoughts in the comments, and check out the links for further reading on some of the cases we have been discussing here today. Remember to subscribe to our channel, and follow us on social media to keep up to date on future podcasts, articles and videos. And of course, if there is anything you want us to feature in future podcast episodes, then just get in touch at marcus at ufoinsight.com. Until next time, goodbye, and take care. Thank you.